Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. I want to talk with you today about what, um, what a great church is in God's eyes. In other words, what is it that God expects us to be as his people, as his church? Uh, it's interesting that Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't just say, I will go out and make converts. He says, I will build my church. That means that there's more to this than just us personally accepting Christ as Savior. He expects us to come together to form what he calls his church. And, of course, that's a common word. We see the word church all over the place here in the Salt Lake area. But what is it that God expects his church to be. Well, when we, we look at the scriptures, we start getting some understanding about what the church ought to be. I will say this, that man has pretty much messed up the whole idea of what the church is supposed to be. Uh, when you look at, at the landscape of churchianity, that's not really a word, but if you look at the landscape of it around the world, there's a lot of stuff that's called the church, but it really isn't biblically what the church is supposed to be. Uh, I want us to talk today about what God thinks the church is, what it ought to be, how he would define a great church. And to do that, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 28, very familiar portion of scripture if you've been a Christian for a while. And it, it's in verses 19 20, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them or teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Now that is frequently called the Great Commission. And that's as much a, a commission to you as it is a commission to me. Sometimes I think we look at scriptures like that and we think, well, that's what pastors are supposed to do. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking to every follower, everyone who calls himself or herself a believer in Christ, he is talking to all of us. We're to go and we're to win people for Christ and we're to disciple them and we're to encourage them and we're to strengthen them in their faith and we're to teach them so that they can understand how to take the principles of the kingdom of heaven and bring them into a world that will make them blessed and ready for eternal life. And that's the mission of Life Church. Do we do that perfectly? No. Am I saying that we're the only right ones? No. I'm simply saying that's our goal. That's our vision. That's what we want to be, to love people back to wholeness. Because the truth is, and I think most of you would agree, sin hurts us. Sin destroys Sin tears at the very fabric of our lives. It breaks us up. It breaks up our marriages. It breaks up our relationships. It breaks up our promises. And it breaks up our lives. But Jesus 
puts that all back together again. That's the whole point of the gospel. I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly, said Jesus. And that's what he does. He makes something beautiful out of something that's been ravaged by the work of the enemy. And then he sends us who have been touched by his grace out to tell everybody about what he has done for us personally. In other words, to share and to witness, and that's what his church is supposed to be about. So what does God think his church, or how does God think about his church? What does he feel like his church should be? I think it gets down to three things. Number one, a great church is a together church. A great church is a bonded church. A great church is, is, is uh, connected strongly with one another. Even though I know we're all individual parts, the church is to be much like a marriage. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians 5 that the church is a mystery which is exemplified in the lives of a husband and wife who lovingly commit to one another and to him. And the togetherness that we see from husband and wife is the togetherness we're to have as, as believers in the body of Christ. Not in exactly the same way physically, but certainly in the same way in terms of our commitment to one another. So a great church, life church, must be a church that is bonded together. Look at Acts chapter 2. It says here in verse number 44 that all the believers were together. And then verse 46, it says they continued to meet together and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Look at how many times the church was together with one another. It was all the time in all kinds of setting. So God wants us to be together in fellowship and together in developing relationships with one another because when we are teamed up as a group, we are stronger than when we are alone. When we're by ourselves, we are weaker. That's why Jesus said we've got to have the church. We've got to become the church. Ecclesiastes 4.9, I've talked with, about this with you for many, many times in the past, says two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. I like that word succeed there. It tells us that there's a benefit to us being together. Have you ever stopped to think about just how much you really need other believers in Christ? This is a very important concept that we understand because I think a lot of us in the American church do not understand it. Because if we're going to accomplish anything of lasting value with our lives, we're going to have to do that connected to one another. It'll take other people to help you succeed. You will not succeed on your own, either for Christ or in any other area of your life. And one of the things I have found is that the church not only helps me to be stronger as a believer, but some of you have some pretty good ideas about how to handle life issues too. And you can speak that into my life, and I become a better human being in society, a better citizen in the land in which I live. In fact, I will go so far as to, as to say this to you, that if you succeed in life at all, it will only be because other people helped you get there. 
Nobody makes it on their own. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. <laughs> Deep spiritual thing right there. Now, I know that really goes against the grain of our culture today because our culture today is basically, I don't need nobody. I'm tough. I can do it all on my own. But that's just not true. You just ask any of our soldiers that are back from Middle East wars, would they rather be out there in the field against the enemy alone by themselves or would they, would they rather have somebody else in the foxhole with them? Would they rather be connected with others? You know, a few weeks ago, America was hit by a, a catastrophic hurricane by the name of Harvey. And it was a terrible tragedy. And it will take us years to dig out of that. But not everything about Harvey has been terrible. One of the positive things has been to see how our nation has come together to help Southeast Texas. I mean, the, the flood of sacrificial giving, not only part of us as, as believers here at Life Church, but all across America, even other parts of the world, the flood of sacrificial giving, the flood of, of, of love, the, the, the effort that's being put in, the, the way people are pulling together, it, it is amazing. Tragedies have a way of pulling people together. They just simply do. It's a very striking the amount of help that Texas is receiving from around the nation right now, and it's not in the headlines today as much but it nonetheless will continue to need that for years to come. And it's been vital because if they don't receive it, it is doubtful that they will be able to recover. But emergency and, and volunteer personnel have shown up by the thousands and the tens of thousands and are giving their time and their talent and their treasure in order to clean up one of the worst, most devastating natural disasters to ever hit our nation. And it's happening again in the state of Florida right now as we're speaking and gathering. What will bring Florida back will be the same thing. It'll be the help of the entire nation working together to come to their aid. Frankly, I believe that Houston's recovery, I believe that Florida's recovery will be the result of people from all around the nation who will bring willingly a sacrifice of themselves and of their treasure to, to help people to bring them out of the tragedy. Tomorrow, maybe you've forgotten, tomorrow is the 16th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on New York City World Trade Center buildings and, and of course, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. I, I have been to New York several times since the towers were struck and I've seen ground zero from the time that it was just a big hole in the ground after the debris was all pulled out of it until it has become what it is today, the, the Freedom Tower, and again houses, uh, I don't know, hundreds, thousands, I'm sure, of offices in that building. And I've gone through the 9-11 Museum. In fact, Carrie and I were watching a, a documentary last night on, on the, the attacks on 9-11 all over again. And one of the fire trucks that was in the video that was partially destroyed and demolished, I leaned over to her and I said, that fire truck is in the museum in New York City, in the 9-11 Museum. They dug it out of the rubble and they put it in. You can see how twisted and tore up it is from the collapse of the buildings coming down upon that fire truck. 
I've been there and I've, and I've read about it. I've, I've seen the pictures all over. I've learned things from that museum that I never knew before about the heroic efforts of people that saved the lives of, uh, of hundreds and perhaps thousands of other people bringing healing and repair to New York and to our nation. The truth is, New York would not have recovered were it not for the help of thousands upon thousands of people who rushed in from all over our nation, it just goes to show you how vital it is that we have one another's back, that, we, that we're there for one another. But it is amazing to me how easily the church forgets that, how easily even Christians forget how vital we are to understand that, how vital we are to, to each other. We think that we really don't need others in the faith. Sometimes I think we feel like we can really make an, and I, there needs to be an individuality about it where I've decided I'm gonna follow Jesus no matter what anybody else does, kind of like the Joshua statement where he says at the end of Joshua, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. You know, there needs, there needs to be some kind of, there needs to be an individual commitment like that. But the reality is we, we need one another tremendously. I need other believers in my life, and you need other believers in your life, because none of us is sufficient by ourselves. That's why the Lord wrote these words that we have here in Ecclesiastes 4.9, that two are better than one. What we have when we meet together is a vital thing. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, don't neglect your church meetings. Did you know it said that? Now, you, there's a thousand things that you can allow to get in the way of your fellowship with other believers and the teaching of God's Word. There's a, there's a thousand reasons why you can, you can neglect. And some of them are, are, you know, you can rationalize, you can do whatever you want with that. All I'm saying is that God says, don't neglect it. It's so important. And he says, you need to be encouraged and warning uh, one another now notice the last part, especially as we see the day of the Lord's return getting so close. So he's saying the closer it is to the coming of Jesus, the more we need one another. Because things are going to be happening in the world that man will have no remedy for, only Jesus. And we're going to need one another to hold steady, to hold strong, and to be a great witness for the Lord in these last days. So being together in this meeting right now is very important to our spiritual lives. It's, so it's got to be a priority for you. It's got to be a priority for me. But we still need more. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, the Bible says there that they continued to meet together in the temple courts, now, that's in church services. That's the way we could interpret that right now. And they broke bread in their homes. That's in small groups, in what we call life groups. God's formula is for us to meet together in church services, but also to meet together in homes, in intimate small groups. And that's where you'll get to know other people. That's where they're able to help bear your burdens. I don't know all the burdens that you folks have. I don't know everything about everybody. It's impossible for one person to know that. 
We do our best, but we can't possibly know every issue, every burden in, in, in a church as large as Life Church. Uh, and you, you all don't know all of my burdens, but in a small group setting, we can, we can learn each other's heart. We can, we can hear the burdens. We can lift one another up through wise counsel and through committed prayer. That's God's plan for his church. So the first thing I would say about defining a great church is this. A great church is together. And we do that by committing ourselves to being together in worship, and enjoying one another's company, enjoying the presence of God, the worship of the service, the teaching of God's word, but also then in smaller groups, in life groups, at home, and in uh, Wednesday night discipleship groups. A second definition, I think, of a great church would be this. A great church is a learning church. It's not afraid to learn. We learn through discipleship. When you look back at Matthew 28, 19, God gives us this goal to shoot for. This is what Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Wow. Notice he didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples because discipleship is the next level up from conversion. So it's not enough just to make a decision to follow Christ and make him your personal savior. It starts there with everybody, but it does not end there. Jesus wants us to be his disciples as well. And what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows. They're fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, but they even do more than commit to following him. They commit to understanding what his church is about, what his word is about, how, his, how he wants to work in their life, what his ways are like. And that means he wants you to grow, he wants you to learn, he wants you to develop into a strong believer who understands truth and lives with his blessing and favor upon your life. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, I've kind of given this definition, and you'll recognize it of live, what I mean by living in God's favor. Favor. I, I define that as living with a sense of God's presence, God's power, and God's promises upon your life. Too many believers don't have that. They don't have a sense of God's presence. We sang about it. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here in my life. Come flood my life. Lord, I want your presence with me when I go out of this building. But the, 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 the truth is, too many believers experience very little of God's abundant provision or God's presence or God's blessings upon their lives. Maybe they experience it in a church service, and, and we certainly hope you experience Jesus when you come here. This is not just about us learning here. It's not just about the mind. It's about the heart, too. It's about experiencing God. We want you to experience Jesus in this place. We want you strengthened and encouraged and helped by your time here with us. But so many believers, they walk out of the building, and their faith level goes virtually back to zero. Oh, they're still followers of Christ, but they don't interject Jesus. They don't interject the Spirit into the everyday of their life. Now, I know what that's about because that's the way I used to live. For years and years, that's the way I lived. I never realized that God wanted to do more in my life. I never realized that he wanted me to take what I learned in here to the out there. 
and, and, and interject it out in, in, into my life. That he wanted his power, not only to infuse me with knowledge, but he wanted his power to flow through me to touch other people. I never understood that when I got to work, before I was in the ministry, when I, when I went into the workforce, that I was to be a light for him, that the power of God, that the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to me and speak through me to other people. I, I never understood that kind of thing. And I thought I would come to services on Sundays and I'd say, wow, that was a tremendous service. Man, I enjoyed the preacher. Or man, I enjoyed the worship and I was just so touched. But, you know, I never sat down and consciously thought this, but it's how I lived. I, I would say to myself, well, that was wonderful. Now we go into real life. And, and I left what happened on Sunday in the church service or on a Wednesday night in the Wednesday teaching or, or in a home group. In the home, I left it there and didn't take it into the broader aspect of my life. So I had a good church experience, but I was defeated. So oftentimes the rest of the week. And many of you know what I'm talking about because that's exactly your spiritual experience right now. That's where you're at. What I'm telling you is that God wants to do much more in your life. He's not interested in a religion for you. He's interested in developing a relationship with you where you come into contact with him and he with you. And he, I mean, life takes on a new dimension. You start living on a new level. He wants to break every one of us free from barriers that are holding us back in our life. He wants to give you new faith. He wants to give you a strong faith. How many of you want a strong faith? I mean, you want to be able to stand strong. You want to have a tough faith. He wants you to get past your old hurts and your old habits and your old problems that, 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 that hinder you and put you into victory living. But to do it, you've got to become a disciple. So what is a disciple? What is a, a, a disciple of Jesus? If we're go, to go and make disciples, how do we define that? I think there are three things that are vital in you becoming a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Number one is being together. You've got to connect with other people of faith. You will never be a disciple on your own. You've got to, there's only one way to grow, and that's in connection with other people. So you've got to commit to being together. And I'll tell you what, an hour on a Sunday morning is not all there is. There's got to be more to that, but you've got to commit at least to that and making that a priority in your life. Number two, you've got to commit to personally being in God's Word on a daily basis. Because I, I want you to know that the Word of God has the power. The power is not in what I say. It's the, the power is in the word of God. That's the thing that, that's what changes everything. Every word in God's word is loaded with life-changing revelation. And I'll tell you, I have read the Bible through multiple, multiple, multiple times in my life. And still, every time I read it, an uh, a new thought will jump to, a light bulb will turn on. A new revelation will come to my heart. I'll underline a, a, a piece of scripture that God is really speaking to me about. It, it becomes so powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says, whatever God says to us is full of living power. I love how the Amplified puts it. It says, it's active, operative, energizing, and effective Everything that God says. That means when you read God's word, it's transmitting God's living 
power, his living presence into your life and soul. And that has the power to change absolutely everything about you. Uh, I, I, even sometimes when you're reading portions of scripture that are not the most exciting portions, they're not the most uh, encouraging portions of, because there are parts of the Bible that are like that. It's still the living power of God and when you read it, it's doing something inside you. Even if you don't fully understand it at the moment that you're reading it, God is changing the DNA of your life, of how you think, of how you approach life. It's gonna affect you even though you may not realize it at the moment, it's going to affect you down the road. It can bring encouragement. It can bring the Word of God, bring direction. It can bring healing. Reading the Word of God, many people have just have been healed. The Word of God says he sent his Word and he healed them. The power of the Word of God getting into your soul. It brings salvation. It can bring peace and so much more. It's the Word of God that makes you strong, so commit to it. Number three, being connected. So it's not just being together, but you got to get connected then to a few other believers who know you and you know them and they can help you live your life effectively for Jesus Christ. The third definition of a great church would be this. A great church is a reaching church and that means reaching other people for the Lord. And we reach people by witnessing to them about what Jesus has done in our lives. Okay, go back to Acts chapter 2. The Bible says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at that word, daily. These people were reaching people for Christ daily. Does Jesus expect us to do that? Yeah, he really, really does. He expects us to be a witness for him out there daily because Jesus cares about lost people. Aren't you glad he cares about lost people? If you didn't care about lost people, you wouldn't have been found. All right? So it gets down to this. What God's done for me, I need to share with others. The purpose of the church has always been primarily to reach people for Christ. You know, so many churches, in my opinion, are nothing more than just a social club. And I'm not saying social interaction isn't important. It is important, but it's got to be about more than that. Some people have asked me when I think life church will be big enough. And my, my answer is when there aren't any more lost people out there. Now, I'm not so foolish as to think that we're the only church and that we're the only ones who can reach this, the lost people of the city. I'm not trying to say that. I know it takes the full body of Christ and, and then some. But we've got to have the attitude that God uh, until they're all reached, Lord, we, we've got to keep praying. We've got to keep witnessing. We've got to keep sharing uh, Christ with, with, with people by every means possible. Um, take your fingers. Can you, do you know how to snap your fingers? Yeah? Just, just do it once with me. Do you know that every time you snap your fingers, two people die? Now, some people will say, well, quit snapping your fingers. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is, in that short amount of time, two people just died. 155,000 people in the world will die 
in the next 24 hours. Many of them without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. And that, vote, that breaks my heart and motivates me. Let me ask you, does anybody have the right to hear the gospel twice when there are so many people who have never heard it once? I am convinced that business as usual in these last days will not work anymore. We've got to seek the Holy Spirit to give us new methods, better, way, better ways, new ideas of reaching people. We have to be open to new approaches of ministry. I mean, through the years, folks, I have fought so many battles with people because there's change in the church. And we canonize our old ways. Do you know what canonize means? The scriptures, the canon of scripture. And um, so when I say we canonize our methods, what I mean by that is we, we make them idols. And it's like nothing can ever change from the way we've always done it. And if there is a change, then suddenly we, we start getting upset. And so many battles take place in so many churches over this very thing, and that's exactly the way the devil wants it because by doing that, he keeps us ineffective and unproductive as a church family. I believe that every person can be one if you just discover the key to his or her heart. Now, out there, every person is an island, and you establish a beachhead when you're going to take when you're in military maneuvers, you establish a beachhead, and you do the same thing, you establish a beachhead with their life when you meet a need in their life. That's why we're so involved. We want to be Christ's hands extended. That's why we take the gospel around the world. That's why we respond to hurricane relief. You as a believer have got to, first of all, Look at the people around you who do not know Jesus. And I'm sure that every one of us have people in our lives that don't know Jesus, that don't know Jesus as Savior. Once you've decided who it is that doesn't know Jesus, you need to write that person's name down on a piece of paper and just start soaking their name in prayer and start asking God, what is the key to their heart? God, show me what the key is to their heart. It might be a problem with their kids, or it might be a physical issue, or it might be something going on in the home, or something, some stress on the job. So maybe something like as simple as a hobby that you have. Maybe you ride motorcycles or something. You know, and, and the hobby, maybe it's history. You both served in the military. You know, and out of that can come this connection. Yeah, I was in Vietnam too. You know, this is what, you know, and God can give you that kind of a connection. It may be a question about a friend who died or a physical thing that they're going through at that particular time that can, you can connect with because you've been through it. Everybody has a hidden hurt, and when you find that hurt and you begin in love to share Jesus Christ and how he can meet that need, it will build a bridge into their life for Jesus Christ. And that's what God is calling us to do.
This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.